the most important thing you could share with me today is your perspective. Because the freedom of perspective fuels the logic we use to defend truth. We never stop fighting for freedom and truth, and that is what makes us Americans. Welcome to Critical Thought with Noah Chalaya. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Good morning. It is 11.07.50 out on our way to a daytime high of 57. In the studio with me, Dr. Mark Jandrysa-Key from the University of North Dakota. Welcome in, sir. Good morning. So I want to draw your attention to this article out of the EP talking about a new rule targeting colleges that leave grads with low income and high debt. And so the idea here is they, the federal government wants to hold colleges accountable by saying, you need to make sure that as students are going through their degrees that you don't saddle them with $300,000 worth of debt for the, the the grand opportunity of making 50k a year something like that right and i guess my initial knee jerk reaction is i think you and i would both agree post secondary education is a good thing it le- overall leads to a higher income Education is also, I would say, one of those things that nobody can take away from you. Even if you take a class, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You could be in a prison cell in in some third world country and they still can't take the knowledge out of your head. So you have something that you have for the rest of your life. So I think that's where you and I can agree. Where I think we might run into some friction is I don't necessarily think it's the college's job to help you make an informed good decision on the return of your investment. That responsibility lies with you, the student. What would you say to that? Well, I think we have to start making a distinction here. And I wrote the piece, uh, distinction between for-profit and non-profit schools, right? One of the problems is there are a lot of for-profit schools who are basically predatory. Okay. You know, they will, they they exist to live off of student loans. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a professor at the University of Colorado who studies like law schools. And Mm -hmm. there's a whole series of law schools that are basically for-profit. They let anyone in and they live off student loans. And so I think we can make a distinction between nonprofit institutions, you know, public and private, and then for-profit places. Mm -hmm. And there's been a real problem over the years with for-profit places that do basically just let anyone in and then let them, you know, saddle them with these big loans for things. And it's not just, it's things like trade schools and other sorts of things as well, not Mm -hmm. just, you know, for-profit colleges. So I think that could be a problem where you have these places that are specifically living off of student loans as as a policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's a problem. Uh, but I, I think you're right. I think people have to uh, exercise caution, right? They have to think about their return on investment. You know, it's it's like anything. If you buy a house, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you need to buy a house you can actually afford. I think you need to get an education you can actually afford. And uh, that can be difficult. But I think, you know, th- a lot of the problem here does come from for prof- for-profit institutions that really have a business model that relies on students taking out maximum loans mm-hmm. and then funneling that money back to the organization the for-profit school. I don't have the study in front of me, but I I came across a study a few months ago that was comparing, it was a fascinating chart. It was showing what the federal government approves in student loans and then what the corresponding tuition rate. And wouldn't you know it, colleges look and they go, oh, Mm -hmm. look at that. Students Mm -hmm. are going to get X amount of tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. I guess that's what our tuition is this year, right? Mm -hmm. And so that kind of speaks to this idea of, as you say, they, they look out. It's just a function of how do we take money? Who cares? 
if it's actually serving the student that is coming to us or not. Again, yeah. more prevalent in the in 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 for-profit schools than sure. than publicly funded education, but a problem in both places insofar as tuitions rising in all across the country, right? What do you tell, because you sit down with students, you advise students, what do you tell the freshman that comes in who maybe they don't, they don't even know Dr. Jandrysa. They, they sit down, they're like, I don't really know what I want to major in and I'm going to hang out for a year or two and mm-hmm. find myself or you know whatever. What do you tell those students in the way of making sure they're getting a return on investment of the money that they or their parents are spending? Sure. I mean, I, I can't pretend to be an expert on financial mm-hmm. advising of students. It's not my job. But what I always tell people is, you know, if you're not sure what you're doing mm-hmm. and you're at UND and you're not happy, mm-hmm. right, then you probably should take some time off, right? You can always get a job. You can always go to work. There's always work if, you know, if you show up on time and are diligent. Sure. So I think some people, you know, they're they're uncertain what they want to do because they're just too young. They don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some people are certain what they want to do and then they start studying it and discover, oh, I don't like this. I can't imagine spending my life doing this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the university, you know, I think tries to be honest with people, tries mm-hmm. to advise them in a way that says, you know, if you're not happy here, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're sort of just aimlessly here, don't waste the money. But I think that the earlier point you made, yes, you can directly correlate the rise in, you know, low interest student loans with increases in tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, a, that's just obvious. And I think it's, it's at, on, on the private school level and the public school level. Uh, mm-hmm. State, you know, state legislatures saw this and they started reducing direct funding to schools, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a percentage um, because you could backfill that with student loans. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, I think it's a bad thing. Okay. Uh, I think it's also an arms race though, right? I mean, people judge the quality of institutions quite often by how much they cost. And so, you know, for a, for a lot of private institutions, you know, costing a lot is a sign, oh, this must be good, you know, which is funny, but kind of, kind of true. You know, people judge quality by cost. I mean, it's um, true that people judge it. Is it true that if you pay more, you get more for well, your money? It depends what you're looking for. Okay. I mean, you know, you can get a good education pretty much anywhere if you're diligent and a hard worker. But I think if you're looking for like a lot of, you know, small classes, a lot of interaction with professors, a lot of hands-on education, then yeah, uh-huh. that costs a lot of money. Okay. You know, if you go to someplace like, I don't know, uh, Ohio State where they have, you know, classes, freshman classes of 500 people, you know. Oh my goodness. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's what you're paying for, right? You're, you're, you're paying for this enormous place with all these resources, but you're also just a number. So I think it just depends on what works for you. But um, I think people, what pe- what happens, I think, is that that information is opaque, mm-hmm. right? The, the actual cost of college is not always clear. Now, it's not as opaque as medical costs, mm-hmm. which are the most <laughs> opaque of all, right? <laughs> they don't even know what it costs. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's still pretty opaque. And what people need to do if they have a child who's, you know, heading in this direction mm-hmm. is they need to be uh, proactive. They need to sit down and talk to financial aid officers and say, mm-hmm. okay, how much is this going to cost me? You know, what's the real cost here? Not mm-hmm. just tuition, but fees, room and board, books. You know, what's the real cost of attendance? Mm-hmm. And I think people need to be aggressive about that because I think too many people just, you know, don't really think about it, right? Yeah. And they also have to think, this is a business, mm-hmm. right? Good students are in demand. And so, you know, people can bargain. I mean, <laughs> you know, you can bargain with institutions, right? Oh, I, got, I got this offer from this place. What Can you match it, right? Or do really? Better? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Places. I mean, my, my alma mater in Rhode Island, Providence College, would love to have students from North Dakota. Okay. Right. For geographic diversity, for different life experiences, right. To sort of leaven the mass of kids from, you know, uh-huh. the Northeast. And, you know, so if you would apply to there, 
right? And it's probably about now 50 grand a year. You know, I'm sure you could probably bargain if you said, well, my kid really wants to go there, but it's far and expensive, right? I'm sure they could bargain with you. Um, and I think that's, that's important to understand too. This is a market mm -hmm. and it pretends it's not right. People who run universities don't like to think they're in a market, mm -hmm. right? They like to think they're providing a, a service, which is un invaluable, sure. right? But it's a market. It's a market for students. It's a market for what you, what services you provide, the quality of your institution. Um, and so I think people have to be very proactive in, in looking at these things. But back to your point, I think, I think it's a, it's, it is unfortunate what has happened that you easy loans have raised the cost. Uh -huh. And I think that's an unfortunate thing because so much of the cost of education, I don't think, uh, resolves back to the student. I think a lot of it goes into administrators. Uh, if you look at the expansion of administrators on campuses over the last few decades, it's just been crazy. Yeah. And so I think, you know, again, you have to be proactive. You have to uh, be aggressive in defending your corner and make sure you know the actual cost of attendance right off the bat. And I think there's, it's reasonable to ask questions like, you know, what do people do when they graduate? What do they earn? You know, where do they go? I mean, if they can't answer those questions, that's a real bad sign. So, so to your yeah. point, you know, from the article, investing in college degree or career is supposed to pay off, but instead, too many students are getting ripped off every single year. Education secretary said in a call with reporters. So, I know at least four people that have four-year degrees and are working as waitresses or mm -hmm. some sort, something that they didn't need a college degree to do because sure. they can make more money doing that thing than they can <laughs> in their chosen degree field. And I guess. Has college become less cost effective for people as we've gone into getting loans? So now I, I sit down and I go, what do I want to study as opposed to what what knowledge or resource can I put in my toolbox so that I can go into the market and be more successful? Do you yeah. see a difference there? Well, I think it's it's you know, it's it's millions of individual level decisions, you know, to pull my social science hat on, right? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, there's work in your field. But it might not be remunerative. It might not be in a place you want to live. You might have family you can't leave. Um, but yeah, I think people need to sit down and say, what do I want to do with my life? What are my goals and plans? And uh, is it necessary to go to college for them? Um, I think that's fine. I think the problem with that is this is being this kind of talk we're having about is it necessary to go to college is being directed at people who are poorer, working class people and not at rich people, right? All rich kids go to college no matter whether or not. But yeah, I think you're right. I think I think a lot of people could sit down and make a rational calculation of what do I want to do? Where do I want to live? Is it necessary to go to college and spend the money for that thing I want to do and where I want to live too? And uh, you know, that's I think that just requires uh, some foresight and thought that you know and counseling that I think students don't get in high school and I think parents aren't really equipped to do because they just don't know. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on the air with Dr. Mark Chandrasek. Good morning. Yeah, morning, guys. I figured I'd add a little comment to this discussion here. So uh, I've noticed with my generation, I, I'm, I'm in Gen um, a lot of my generation really wants to start at the top. And they think that just because they go through school, they, they do the things, they get the good grades, they're going to automatically go right into the field that they studied for, and they're going to start right at the top. Wrong. You need to work your way up, even with that education. You have the education. That's great. That's just a small piece of the equation. You got to get into the workflow. You got to find the right job. You got to find the job that you like. Maybe the job that you like uh, isn't something that you, that you actually like in the first place. You get to a job and you don't like the environment there. You got to go to a different job. Okay, well, you're at that job. Now you got to work your way up. 
And, you know, it's, it's climbing the ladder in a way. Does that make sense? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things about climbing the ladder is that you have to have some assurance you can climb it, right? And I think one of the problems we have as a society is we have, I'm, I'm going to say this, we have a lot of old people who won't retire. <laughs> look, look at Congress, right? And so I think it's discouraging to a lot of people to think, you know, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to not rise, right? Or I'm going to, it's going to take a lot longer than I thought because there's so many people who are simply not, uh, not, you know, above me. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's hard to explain to people, right. That you've got to do unpleasant or perhaps things you didn't want to do for, for, you know, a while before you can start doing the thing you want to do. But, uh, I think that's part of, part of any career. I mean, it certainly wasn't mine. I did lots of things I didn't want to do while I was in graduate school. Trust me. So I think it's, yeah, I think, the, but I think it's hard because I think we have a, we have a, we have a real, you know, the baby boomers are still in our workforce and there's this huge mass of them that aren't getting out of the way fast enough, in my opinion. Do you see- I agree? And that, that's true, but uh, you know, it's just, I, I've just noticed the big trend with my generation. They all want to start at the top and, and you, you just got to be patient and, and work hard. It, it takes time. Anything worth accomplishing will, will take time and effort. So thank you. Sure. Appreciate the call. 775-5559. Text messenger says, I have a question for Dr. Jen Dreisick. Do you mind if I call in maybe after the new? No, the phone lines are open. You're welcome to call in anytime. You don't have to ask permission. You just give us a call. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take the break here. We'll continue with Dr. Mark Jen Dreisick next. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 1079-1033 FM coming up on 1123-49 out on our way to a daytime high of 57. The phone number, if you'd like to be a part of the program, it is 775-5559. Add your voice to the conversation. You're on KNOX with Dr. March and Rice. Good morning. Hey, morning, Dr. J. Morning, Noah. Hey. Jay Money here. Uh, so if I could just uh, pivot topics, if that's all right. Um uh, last week, you were talking about, you know, lack of political will in regards to dealing with our immigration crisis. Um, and you had made the point that on certain issues, on some issues, it's actually best if our legislators, you know, keep their keep their hands out of it or keep their fingers out of it. And, and as someone who uh, admittedly leans uh, philosophically anarchist, uh, I agree that sometimes doing nothing is best. But for the challenges that we want our politicians to tackle, uh, things like, you know, the immigration crisis, the border problem. Um, do you think that term limits might actually uh, help motivate our politicians to get some things done? How do you think, like, term limits uh, would affect uh, the potential for our legislators to actually do, do something on the things we need them to do something on? 
That's an, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's, it's, there are a number of states that have term limits. California has term limits for its legislature and I think for all statewide elected officials. Um, what's happened in a lot of places with term limits, though, is that people start pondering their next move. And uh, that next move might be to get elected to, say, go from the House to the state Senate or go to a statewide elected office. And so I think that makes them less, probably is not going to make them politically brave. And I think a lot of members, when you have uh, term limits, they start planning a career in, say, lobbying or working for an interest group or a business. And this called this is what's called the revolving door, and it's an ethical problem in, in, in legislatures. So I, I'm not sure if term limits are the answer to that, because I think that just makes people uh, think with short, more even more short, short term uh, than they might otherwise, because I'm only going to be here eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might for some people. It might make them say, I have nothing to worry about, right? Uh, it, I think it's a really interesting question, and it's not one – that I've studied, and but I think it's a really interesting point about how does how does having like only eight years in a legislature change your viewpoint versus saying I'm going to be there for twenty. Um, it it might make people braver. I'm inclined to believe it would make people think about their next move and mm. uh, maybe even be less brave because they don't want to offend certain interests or people who might you know get them a job down the stretch. Mm. So I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I don't really have an answer for it. I'll, I'll look around though. You know, you, you've you brought up before, and I wonder if it doesn't apply here, this idea of drawing out of a hat for a lack of a better way to phrase that. But instead of having, instead of electing people, forget about term limits for a second. I mean, it would have term limits, I suppose, but instead of choosing by somebody who wants to go and run and wants to go do it, what if you did draw names out of a hat and that person's going to the legislature and, you know, we treat it very much like jury duty. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, as I've said many times, I'm against term limits because I think people should be allowed to elect people as long as they want. Mm-hmm. But hey, I would love the idea of, it's called sortition, right? Choosing okay. people by a lottery. Um, I would love that idea maybe as an experiment on a local level. Okay. I think it'd be fun to see how that would work, you know, create a sort of, uh, have, a, have, a, have elected members of a city council, but then also add like, half the members is chosen by some lottery. Uh-huh. I think that'd be fascinating. I think the problem would be that you would have to have very strong rules to require the people who get picked to show up and do the job. Oh, you know? sure. So what if you pick someone and they never show up, right? Uh-huh. We have this problem at the university with committees all the time, right? People are on committees, the university said that they never show up. And the rules are <laughs> that they, you know, they should be sanctioned for this. It never happens, right? Uh-huh. So you'd have to have some pretty strong rules if you're going to pick people by, by random to say, you got to come. And you probably have to pay them enough money to incentivize them to show up, right? I mean, either either use carrot, use carrots and sticks, right? So the carrot is you pay them enough and the stick is you, I don't know, lock them up if they don't show up to the city sure. council meetings. I don't know. It'd be fun. I think it'd be fun to try. Okay. Do you think uh, it's a good idea? Is it a good idea? Um, you know, it, hey, the ancient Athenians did it in 300 BC and it worked out for them. They okay. chose almost all their public offices by lottery. Uh, so, you know, it seemed to work out for them for, for a couple hundred years. Um, I'd love to see it tried. I, th- I think honestly, more people getting involved mm-hmm. would be helpful. Would yeah. be helpful. That you yeah. and I can agree, man, we did yeah. the school board referendum mm-hmm. and it the, the voter turnout was abysmal. Yes. It's just frustrating. Yep. 775-5559. You're on KNOX. Good morning. That's you. Hello. Hi. See, I was watching the house hearings on the whistleblowers today. And the FBI retaliated against them. Any thoughts? I'll hang up and listen. So for the FBI here. Oh, yeah, yeah sure. Um, well, I mean, if you're still working for an agency and uh, you're doing things the agency doesn't like, they have a right to discipline you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think calling these people whistleblowers is probably uh, not uh, 
correct at the moment because we have no idea what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. You're not a whistleblower until you blow the whistle, right? But I think you know, if you work for an organization, you know they have a right to discipline you. Now, I teach I, in my ethics class. I do teach about whistleblowing. Okay, and it's a fraught topic, right? Uh, my general, the general thing I tell students is, if you're going to become a whistleblower, prepare for the end of your career. Of course, yeah. Nobody will trust yeah. you again, right? And I think I think that that's that's basically true. Now, now, whatever these people are going to say, I have no idea. But yeah, when you work for an organization and you're still working for it and you're doing things that are you know antithetical to that organization, you should expect discipline. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's just how it is. Freedom of speech is not freedom without consequences. Well, right. And also, you, I mean, you, you give up some freedom of speech when, you, like, you you know, when you work for KNOX, you've mm-hmm. given up some freedom of speech. You just can't get on the air and say whatever you please. Right. Right. Well, I can, but there'll be consequences. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you'll be out the door. Yeah. Right. So I think you know that that's the case. And and whistleblowing is is a difficult thing. And I always tell my students, if you're mm-hmm. going to do this, you know, be prepared to lose your job. Be prepared to to have people think you're an institutional traitor. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it is. It's unfortunate, but true. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on KNOX. Good morning. Morning, guys. How's it going? Good. <clears throat> good. 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 So I, uh, I guess I'm kind of curious in your thoughts going going back to elected position stuff and things like that. Um, do you think that there is a point where a a governing body of a city it is it is less effectual uh, for it to remain as a part-time position and becomes more effectual in terms of actual amount of focus placed on the job, on their function, on the issues, on serving the electorate rather than uh, trying to find a balance between their own career and that 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 position of service, mm. uh, and 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 then on top of that, um, do you feel that a full time position offers a better opportunity, or a rather not opportunity, but a better safeguard against? governing bodies and people with working within those government governing bodies, city council, et cetera, um, being influenced by personal gain, special interest, conflicts of interest, et cetera. Uh, and, and, and kind of, do you see that there's a certain point in terms of size of population, size of city where that full-time governance versus part-time, um, begins to make more sense than the part-time? Oh, <laughs> I'm sure there are people who study this for a living in public mm-hmm. administration who could answer that question. There's probably an optimal size question. Like once a city gets above a certain size, you should have full-time elected officials, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what that number is. I think Grand Forks uh, is, is a, you know, we, we have a model in North Dakota of part-time elected officials. Okay. Right? The legislature is part-time. Uh, the mayor of Grand Forks is a part-time job, right? right? Yeah. The city council. And, and that is the model we've chosen. And we have, you know, professional people, you know, who like a city manager, we have, you know, we have people at the county level who are mm-hmm. professional full-time people who manage the day-to-day. And that's the model we've chosen. Now, the question is, is Grand Forks grown large enough? Has the government here grown complex enough to warrant, say, a full-time mayor or a full-time city council? Um, my answer would be uh, no, I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I think we've only got, we've got 50,000 people. Um, I think, you know, that it's probably not enough work. Okay. You know, 
but that that's that's me. That's my opinion. Well, so right? you, so the counterpoint to that would be if the mayor is like, let's I don't remember what it is, but it's like twenty five thousand dollars a year or something. That means that the only people that can ever occupy that position are people that are either independently wealthy that don't have to work a nine to five or somebody who can afford, you know, they, they have the flexibility in their career that allows them to say, well, I'm going to take off for city council meetings and all the rest of that. But the average Joe can't say, well, I'll give up my job and I'll go serve as mayor because he can't afford to do it. Yeah. And that's a really good point, right? You want, if you want to open up participation to more mm. people, you have to make it worth it. Wow. This is mm-hmm. a debate that goes back to the founding of our country. Uh, mm-hmm. and ben Franklin argue, actually argued against paying members of Congress for that, for the reason that they should do it out of public service, right? Okay. At the convention, yeah. So it's it goes way back. I think that's a good point. I think you're absolutely right. I think the legislature has that problem. I think you know all our public service has that problem. You have to have a full, basically a full time job to serve. Uh huh. Now again, it might be better if we had say a city council of ten full time people uh-huh. and a, a full time mayor. It might be. Um, it might make them more able to do research, dig deep into things, mm-hmm. uh, rely less on, you know, the professional bureaucrats, rely less on, say, people yelling at them in meetings, right? Yeah, yeah. But again, I'm not certain if there's a, a, a public will for that, you know. To, and to, to pay for it. And to pay for it, right? You're talking, you're basically going to have to pay the mayor, you know, 100 grand at least, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. To make it worth someone's while to do that full time, especially if they are a a professional right. right, making a lot of money and they, you know, or someone who's making or has a business and they're making good money. And so I think you're, the, the voters would face a tough call of paying, say city council members, like, I don't know, 80 grand a year, the mayor, a hundred grand at least. Uh-huh. That would be, that would be a tough sell, I think, to the voters here. And again, I'm, I'm just not certain if Grand Forks is large enough and complex enough, but I think your point is excellent that we deter people from serving because they have to take a huge financial cut uh, and especially if they're working, you know, a nine to five job. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we we do deter a lot of people from serving in, in our elected officials in this state. And I think that is a problem. Yeah. We'll take the news. We'll head over to the KNOX newsroom and continue with Dr. Marching Dreisick next. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9 103.3 FM. So I'm going to go a little bit off script here. This isn't, it wasn't in, the prep I sent you, none of that. So uh, (laughs) I hope I'm not putting you too far on the spot. But I I wanted to get your thoughts on um, voting. So yesterday there was a referendum, $80 million in Grand Forks. Mm -hmm. And everybody kind of has their own ideas of what the city should have done and what, frankly, the school district shouldn't be doing and all the rest of it. But if I park all of that, I think the thing that was most frustrating to me out of ever, out of more than anything else is we live in a city of like 50,000 some people and there's like 4,000 people showed up to vote. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? Like that's $80 million. That's $300 a year for most people that they're not going to have. And the, you know, in the first time they're going to figure that out, they're probably going to hit like August, November uh, when they get their tax return, they're going to go, Oh, my taxes went up $300. How did that happen? <laughs> Why and how does that happen? And what can be done to change that? Well, it's, you know, there's lots going on here, right? I mm-hmm. mean, one question referendums happen all the time and they, you have them in May at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be low turnout anyway. I mean, it's, it's not during an election. Okay. Right? I mean, you think about it, we have, we have primaries and we have the general election. Right. And the general election turnout is always, always a lot higher, right? North Dakota, around 60% turnout in general elections. So 
I'm, I think it's, it's a strategy sometimes that's pursued to put questions at certain times of the year. Okay. I think municipal elections here are generally in May, I believe, or June historically for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's unfortunate that not that many people turned out. I, th- I'm, I don't want to put any nefarious motives on, on the city or the school board for putting it at this time. I just think no, that's no. when we have municipal elections. Uh-huh. But you think about it, you have one voting place, mm-hmm. right? The Alaris that automatically is going to reduce turnout because people have to you know make a special trip there to vote. Okay. Uh, I think it's one question. Uh, a lot of people don't even hear about it. I mean, local media talks about it, but again, you know, the number of people reading the Grand Forks Herald or listening to, you know, the local talk radio shows is actually fairly small Mm -hmm. compared to the number of voters. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's a, it's a low information question. People don't hear about it. They don't care about it all that much. And it's one voting place Mm -hmm. for one question. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't care. Um, It's unfortunate. Uh, I think one answer would be to have all, all elections on one day. Okay. So you have all elections in November, you know, when we have federal elections, you have state elections, you have all the city elections at the same time. That would guarantee a bigger turnout. Okay. Um, I don't know why that's not done. It'd be a fairly simple thing to do, right? You just add extra things to the ballot. Um, but I think um, there's there's opposition to that, right? I think there's a sense that the city likes having elections separately uh, for various technical reasons and I think for other reasons too. But yeah, it is deeply unfortunate because this is an important issue. And I think more people probably should have voted. I voted, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I always vote. I never miss an election. So no yep. big deal. But yeah, I think, I think we have, we have this situation where we have one voting place. Mm-hmm. And I think that just deters people right away. And so, I understand why that's done because it's expensive and they need people to be there all day. And you can't, you know, for one question, it'd be very expensive to do. But yeah, that, that think that's a major deterrent. I think it's a low information election where it's just not, people aren't aware of it. So kind of talking about low information, even the way that the question is worded, and and to be fair, this is entirely out of the hands of the school district. They don't have a choice in it. It's dictated to by state century code. Mm -hmm. But the way that they word the question is based off of the mill rate, which in itself, I had somebody sit here in the studio and it took me an hour to wrap my head around how that process works. I cannot even begin to imagine how if you thought you were showing up to vote on you know, they're, oh, they're going to build a school. And let's say you didn't have any of the information ahead of time. If you sat down and read the ballot measure, I don't think you'd walk out of there with any freaking clue how much money you voted for or against. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that, does that play into it? Is that a problem for people, do you think? There's always a problem with ballot questions, right? I mean, what it actually says and what it actually will do. Um, you know, I, I voted in many different states. And, mm-hmm. and this is, at, you, North Dakota is not that bad compared to other places. I voted in Mississippi once and there was a ballot question that was like one line on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I actually read the full question. It was like 12 pages long, right? Really? And so, you know, unless you went and read the full question, you had no idea what you were voting for. Okay. I think we're a little better here about that, but you're right. I mean, if you dig down deep, what you're really voting for is you're voting for a tax increase, right? To build a new school, to have new more right. school security. That's exactly what you're voting for. That is not made. I agree. That was not completely transparent. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, as you said, the state requires certain things that the ballot has to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. But I think that's another problem with informing voters, right? Right. I mean, 
people need to seek out information. And sometimes information is surprisingly hard to get, as you said. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this the school in this particular case, I, I got to give props to the school district because they held informational meeting after informational meeting. They had mm-hmm. they had, you know, open forums. They had I mean, he was Terry Brenner sat here on the radio every week. They couldn't have done a better job, whether you were for it or against it. You had access to the information if you cared. And they published right. all of it on their website. They sent me the document. It was like four thousand pages. And I still had people call. They're like, they weren't transparent. I didn't know what they're doing right. with the money. Really? Because they wrote it out like every square foot was accounted for in this 4,000-page document. I didn't read it cover to cover. I don't know anybody who did, but the you can't say that the information wasn't there. Right. Um, but it, it still requires effort, and it still yeah. requires well, time, yeah. right? I mean, that's why, we, that's why voting, presidential voting is so much higher, because you don't need that much information to make the choice, right? Mm-hmm. But to vote on these kind of questions or judges or any number of things, you have to dig to get that information. And you're right. They, they did have a lot of outreach and that's mm-hmm. fine, but it still, it still requires time and energy. And a lot of people don't One answer to the low voter turnout might be good. Those people are the ones who care. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, that's, I, yeah I, that's true. I've heard this yeah. argument before, you know, that, well, low voter turnout is not a bad thing because those are the people who actually care. And it's good. We don't have people who don't care voting. So, you know, that's a, that's an argument I've heard. I, I don't buy it personally, but I've really? heard it. Yeah. So I, I feel like I talked to, I feel, no, I'm going to push back on you. And you have to, especially teaching freshmen, mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you, you can't tell me you don't stand at your classroom and have a moment where somebody says something and you listen to it. And then you just go, that guy canceled my vote. Mm. Like that guy gets the same vote that I get. And, and he just said that. Well, I mean, I generally don't, uh, think that way about voting right it's like okay i don't think someone's canceling my vote um but no i you know when i teach about voting Mm -hmm. in american government i make it clear that voting is a choice okay right we don't have we don't have mandatory voting we're not australia right where you have to vote um and uh voting is a choice right and if you don't want to vote there may be reasons why okay that you think are good reasons sure i disagree with that personally but i understand it and you know i think um I don't worry about, you know, I'm happy people vote and I uh-huh. don't care how they vote. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I don't worry about someone canceling my vote because honestly, you know, I live in North Dakota. My vote's canceled multiple times. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I listen, I listen enough where I hear people and somebody says something and I just, it strikes me as so stupid. I'm like, I, I can't believe that our votes count for the same. I like, yeah. Anyway, that's maybe my arrogance speaking a little bit. Seven seven five fifty five fifty nine. You're on the air with Dr. Chandrasek. Good morning. Drive that you know you're talking about. You've heard this, and you don't subscribe to this, so I'm not putting this on your doorstep. But when people say low voter turnout because those are the people that care, that that's a good thing. And like you, I would I would absolutely uh, agree with that idea. And I don't think we have so much of a well. I, I think we have an apathy problem uh, in our in our city, in our state, and really in our country. You look at the last presidential election, and I believe that. 50% or maybe just over 50% of eligible voters in North Dakota voted in that. And when it comes down to this referendum on the schools, it's to me is troubling because the, the people that rent uh, in, our, in our community, they don't get a property tax statement. And so I think a lot of them are, whether it's willingly or just uh, whatever, they're ignorant about these things. What they don't understand is that their rent is going to go up because I, I know of exactly zero property owners out there who own rental property who probably have the idea that say, ah, you know, the referendum went through. I guess we're going to have to take this on the chin. 
I don't, <laughs> I don't know of anybody that's, uh, that's like that. And so I think that, you know, really one of the systemic problems that we have is, is people that are apathetic and maybe willingly ignorant to what's going on uh, from a civic uh, standpoint, uh, city, state, and, and, and the federal level. What's your, what's your take on that? Uh, sure. I mean, there are, yeah, there are act- people who are apathetic. I mean, there are people who think my vote won't affect anything. Uh, and I think, you know, on the local level, that's unfortunate because look at this election. You know, if you had mobilized a few hundred people or a couple dozen people uh, in this city election, you might have had an effect on the outcome. Yes. So I think I think apathy is a real problem. Um, and I think a lot of people think my vote doesn't count. My vote has no value. Um I think in terms of, you know, uh, cost shifting, yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, um, you know, if property taxes go up, rental properties uh, cost more. That's that's just absolutely true. But, yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of apathetic people. I think there's a lot of alienated people, too, who simply believe that, um, you know, vote not voting is a political act. Right? Yeah. I'm showing them I'm not going to vote. I have family members that do that. I'm yeah. sticking it to them because I don't. I'm not participating in your yes. election that you've corrupted. Right. And, right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, so it's a combination of alienation, apathy. Uh, but I think you know, on the local level, it's unfortunate people disenfranchise themselves because again, a few hundred voters could have a huge effect. If you look at some legis- the legislative elections in 2022, I mean, some of those elections were decided by 10, 15 votes. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's un- it's deeply unfortunate. Uh, that people sort of disenfranchise themselves, especially in local elections where a few votes would make a big difference. Isn't that interesting? Where you'd have the most impact, you feel like it's the least important. Yeah. 775-5559, you're on the air with Dr. Jandrysa. Good morning. Good morning. You have an answer for yours, guy. Welcome in. Oh, you know, you talk about apathy. And when you look at Social Security and when you look at the border, uh, it's no wonder people are apathetic. Uh, our leaders can't solve problems. They just... I'll, they can fundraise. They do a pretty good job raising money. But uh, as far as solving problems, I think people are, I, what's the word, disgusted? Or, I mean, they just lose interest because all they do is argue. But what I'm calling about right now is uh, property taxes. Now, tell me this. Let's say the state takes all the property taxes away from the local cities, and they've got all the money there. How long would it take? for the state of North Dakota to bankrupt a community. Not sending any money. You can't raise property taxes. How long before Grand Forks would be bankrupt? Six months? Well, I, I mean, it's interesting, hypothetical. I, I, I doubt legally the state could refuse to, you know, I don't know, fund, say, schools or whatever else is paid for with property taxes. I think there's constitutional provisions that would require that and laws. Um, you know, I mean, you, I mean, in theory, sure, you could see if the, if the state gains more and more control over things. One of the reasons I'm in favor of local control as much as possible is because you don't want legislators in Bismarck deciding to stick it to Grand Forks or Fargo, which, you know, they could do, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah, I think that would be a bad thing. I don't think it's, it would be legal or constitutional under current laws in North Dakota for the state to do that. But no, I'm totally opposed to, say, the state taking over you know, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Getting if, if we say abolished property taxes in North Dakota and had the state fund everything, that I think would be unfortunate because that would take away control from local people, local decision-making. Even a referendum like this would, would be impossible yeah. if the state yep. took over those things. And, and, you know, I mean, that I think is bad. I'm always in favor of pushing decisions down to the lowest level you can. Yes. I think that's a good idea. 
And I don't favor the idea of the state getting more power that way. I don't think, I think the callers may be making a hypothetical that's unlikely to occur, mm-hmm. but certainly, you know, look at the, if you look at say state budgets in the United States, mm-hmm. the federal government provides a big chunk of state budgets. I think in Mississippi, it's almost 40% comes directly from the federal government. That gives the feds a lot of leverage and, you know, that may or may not be a good thing, but I don't like the idea of Bismarck deciding, for example, you know, whether you can build a school in Grand Forks. That yeah. just strikes me as a bad thing. That doesn't speak to maximum absence of coercion. Yeah. And it also doesn't speak to just participation of the voters, right? Mm-hmm. You want people to have more say in how they live their lives. And I think that would be, a, that, that's the goal. All right. We'll wrap it up in the next segment. Hand it off to Bonnie Mack. This is Critical Thought on KNOX. Radio 1310 KNOX 107.9, 103.3 FM. Just a couple minutes left in the hour, and I, I, I badly want to get your thoughts on this, Dr. Mark Jandrasik. So uh, this Texas professor, A&M, uh, A&M, a professor at A&M Commerce, failed over half his class because they wrote their papers with chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Is this something that, first of all, do you have any first-hand experience with people trying to use ChatGPT? But then second, how would you respond to this? Because this has got to be something that concerns professors. Yeah, we've been talking about it on campus. We've had some meetings about it. Um, the solution, there's several. There's a couple easy solutions. One is if you give tests, have them do it with pen and paper, right? Mm-hmm. So they can't use ChatGTP. Uh, and when I write paper assignments, I make sure that you have to quote from sources that we've used in class. You have to do certain things that chat GTP is not set up to do. Okay. But yeah, I can understand why if you just write some assignment, like discuss, you know, immigration, mm-hmm. right? You could just mm-hmm. ask chat GTP to write a paper on it, right? Easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I can see students doing that and I can see why that would be, that's wrong because right? mm-hmm. it's not your work. You're turning in something that someone else's work effectively. Um, someone, well, something, <laughs> right. The machine. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, it's a coming problem. I think it's, it's something to be aware of. Um, I think my, my answer to this has always been this mm-hmm. students who cheat, cheat badly. Okay. Right. Because they're lazy. Sure. Right. It's like any sort of illegal activity. Right? Yeah. Most people are lazy who are in crime, uh, not to compare this to crime, but, yeah, yeah. but you know, and so it, in my experience, people cheat, cheat, cheat badly. It's easy to find out. And I've had colleagues who've had chat GT papers come in and they have the same sort of style. Sure. Right. They start off with some canned statement, like this is a very important issue that has, you know, this kind of uh-huh. cliche. And so you look for the signs that this is a machine generated thing and it's, they're fairly easy to find right now. Okay. I, I assume is. AI evolves, it's going to get harder to figure right. out that they're, they're cheating, right? But if you're diligent and doing your job, mm-hmm. you will find people doing this. And, you know, I hope, I'm not sure, I didn't, I didn't delve deeply into the story, but it's just, it's a coming thing. And I think there are people willing to take these shortcuts. But if you're diligent and doing your job, you should be able to, to find them and be able to write assignments that can avoid the problem. I'll make you a bet. Well, before you're off the air with our time together, I'll bet you at some point, AI will get to the point where somebody will feed your class, you know, feed it the curriculum, feed all the stuff mm-hmm. you cover in class, 
And then we'll see what ChatGPT can spit out. Absolutely. That'll do it for our time. We'll hand it to Body Mac. This is Critical Thought. KNOX.